0: Us, that you're the joy of your presence father fill the room fill the atmosphere and I thank you Lord that your joy is unlimited that choice of joy even through hard times I thank you Lord and I pray father that as we as we discuss these things that you help me Lord I I'm kind of in uncharted waters with this and you know because you put me here so I thank you Lord that uh, you trust me enough and I just ask Lord that your will be done with the service we yield it to you and ask that you that you help us to understand what it is that you are speaking to your body to the church and help us to understand even better the call that goes around the entire earth that call of salvation to Christ and we just thank you Lord and I lift up every other church body in the earth, Lord, every other local church, and the people who, those people who meet together that call on the name of the Lord, we, they, they, they may, they may, they may have traditions that, that uh, don't necessarily line up with the word, and we may even hear, we just always ask for a greater understanding, but I just, I, nevertheless, there are many who call upon the name of Jesus in this earth, and we pray for encouragement for them, Lord, and, Even in the midst of hard persecution, because some of them face a great deal. We ask, Lord, you give them the way of escape, and we ask that you give them the words to speak at the right time, and protection, so that the work can progress. And I thank you, Lord, and in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, so before I get into this, I'm going to go ahead and announce again, we have uh, that uh, um, the vlog that I'm doing on Tuesday is called Vlogitas, which again is that mashup between the word log, the video log, and Veritas, which is that Latin word for truth. Because we're just going through the word, and you know, just we last week we did, last Tuesday we did uh, just the first three chapters of Timothy, just read the word, just, and then talked about some things, and um, you know, and the idea is to be as interactive as we can, so if anyone has any questions, we're doing it on Facebook, so that way people can join it. If you want to if you're on Facebook and you want to uh, be a part of that, just uh, send us a request. I, you know, you can like the church's Facebook page and send us a message. That way, let us know you want to be a part of it. Or you can just tell us here, and we can, you know, figure out how to get you on there. It's just the the Wednesday or not the uh, the midweek uh, group on on the Facebook page, and 10 to 20 minutes long. Not not long. I think last week I did 24 minutes, but that was because I had some introductory stuff I had to do. And, and Iris, Iris wanted more, so it's Iris approved. You know, so so we're we're good. You know, um, so next, so next, this coming Tuesday, we're going to do uh, the next three chapters, and then the week after that, next, the next Tuesday at, it's at six. Tuesday at six, we'll do the last three chapters, and then we'll be done with that, and we'll see what God has for us next. Um, so, but look, really looking forward to it. I really enjoyed it. I, I really, I really liked it. Liked doing it. So, uh, let's go ahead and open our Bibles to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, and uh, <clears throat> I'm flying a little more blind than usual um, because the Lord gave me a direction but he didn't fill in the blanks for me, so I uh, don't know, I mean this might be extremely short, I have no idea because I don't want to say anything that he didn't tell me to say. And so, you know, I didn't realize uh, how much this theme was, was coming up again and again in the music, Is it's this theme of, <clears throat> not only are we gods, but He is ours, you know, because He has purchased us with His blood, and now He calls us children, you know, um, you know and I mentioned, I'll probably mention this again later on, but, but just, you know, a few weeks, I guess it was a couple months back, we had Josh Hickman with us, and he... He talked about how the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. He said, but you know that that's a figurative thing. We're not literally the bride of Christ. He said, but when God calls us his children, he has literally made us his children. So that's why you can say you're mine, Lord, because you're my father. Okay, so this idea of um, mutual ownership, if you will, you know, the idea that God is, he has made us able to uh, to be called ours. You know, not in the sense that we own him and we could tell him what to do, but he is, he is father. You know, um, and so, the, the, the salvation has been so strong on my heart lately, and if you go back and you look at everything we talked about over all these years, you, you know that sal- the message is there. We talk about salvation, but not so heavily as we have in these last few weeks, and I still feel strongly that it has to do with God mobilizing the church, because he, one of, the, one of the ministers at Raymond made a point. You know, when, when we were there being trained for, for ministry, um, he said, if, "If he said our job is to promote salvation. You know, you're, uh, you know, you could think of yourself as a promoter. You know, like like like, I, I think for some reason of, of boxing. You know, you have a you have a promoter, the guy that promotes their boxer they're sponsoring, and he and he's trying to spread this guy's name or this girl's name everywhere. I got this person that does these fights, and I'm trying to get them fights and." And so but he but the teacher made this comment about how something that we're not excited about if i if i'm not excited about salvation i'm not going to be a good promoter of salvation i'm not going to promote that you know as much as somebody who is excited about it you know who's passionate about it and so the best way to get passionate about it is to discuss it and really understand what god has done for us and you know i mean Jesus choosing to die, choosing to go to the cross, choosing to pay for our sins is something that we can never repay. And so that this, uh, you know, the other, the other theme that came up that, that I was noticing was this, I'm not going to leave your side. In other words, I'm not going to do things that you say are wrong, you know, because that distances me from God. So I'm going to live to please him so that I can stay close to him by his side because I could never repay what he did for me on the cross. Um, so, <clears throat> we're sort of continuing this talk about salvation, but I felt in my heart that God wanted us to kind of zoom out a little bit, so to speak, and, and take up a bird's-eye view of this whole redemption thing, this, uh, the idea of redemption, because salvation is a part, you know, of redemption. You know, they're, they're two different words. You can look up the different—I mean, they definitely are connected, and they walk hand in hand, but, but the idea about God's plan for redemption, because His plan for redemption goes further than salvation— Salvation is certainly what is the driving force behind why he redeems things. But uh, you know, we we we've talked a lot of, to 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 you, and I mean, I've talked to a lot of different people, not just the people here. But I've talked to a lot of people over the years about mankind and earth and heaven. And I've noticed that sometimes people's eyes start to glaze over. You know, because it is a it's extremely deep stuff. You know, and and we tend to get focused on the here and now. I'm I'm, I'm I mean, some people, a lot of people are like, hey, I'm just living paycheck to paycheck. I'm just trying to make a buy. I understand that, but that's not God's way of thinking. That's why seek first the kingdom of heaven and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. God's like, take your focus off that and focus on Me, and I'll take care of that, because He wants to focus on Him. And uh, you know, it's it's because we tend to get locked into what's going on in the here and now, it's, it becomes comfortable for us to sort of take what the Bible says about some of this, these things and just kind of put it off into the future. You know, some, someday, okay? That's not, that's not until someday. I, I, you know, I, I'll think about it in terms of not yet, you know. But if we don't put some of these things into some kind of perspective, we miss a lot of what God is saying, because God God has said a lot about these things and it's not impossible for us to search out the meaning. You know, we can't understand it fully. We can't fully grasp God's plan. I mean, Jesus made it clear there's some things in God's plan that he's not going to tell us. You know, it's not for you to know certain date, you know, times and seasons the Father's put into his authority, you know. And uh so but uh, and I think that a lot of times because we do understand that we get caught up in, well, we can't under- we know it all. We can't know it all so, so I'm not going to try so hard to search it all out, but we do, God expects us to search it out, you know, to search out some, you know, what we can understand. And it's a challenge, because we have to, if we do that, we've got to navigate through a lot of man's ideas about God. And this came up on Wednesday night, we talked about that, is the idea that, that there's so many traditions of men about God that don't have anything to do with this. Don't have anything to do with it. So we have to navigate through that. We have to be willing to say, okay, well, the Bible says this. I'm sorry that your tradition says this, but the Bible, God said this about himself. Okay? So I, I'm going to have to throw that out. I'm sorry, but, or I'm not sorry. What's that sorry, not sorry thing that everyone likes to say, you know? And uh, because God really has a lot to say about himself, about the universe, about the earth, and us. And so I want to know, I want to know, God, what do you say about me? Because I might not have a clear understanding of, my, of what I am, who I am, you know? Now, first things first, the other day Tammy and I were talking about heaven. And I asked her, I said, what do you think is important for Christians to know about heaven? So said, I just want to know what you think, you know, what, what do you think? And she thought about it, and she said, I think... I think people make a mistake when they think of heaven as the end for us. You know, and I had to think about that for a second, and I thought, you're right. You're right. We see these end times that we're going through, and we in this in the middle of all this struggle, we think, man, when Jesus comes back, this'll all be done with. But guys, Jesus Jesus' return is that's just the beginning. So I'm going to borrow an object lesson from Francis Chan that I saw him do once. That he had this rope. I've got an extension cord, but it's okay. It's still the same principle, and it's even red for Christmas, right? Okay, so we got this rope here, and if you can see the the end of this this the plug part of the rope, and then the rope goes on, and uh, you know he took he he had a rope, you know, and he says he says imagine he said you can't see the other end of this rope because it because it goes off into this room. He's like, and imagine that this rope goes on forever. He said, and imagine that your life on this earth is this long. This is your life. Forever. He said, but for the person who's saved, the person who has asked Jesus into their heart, the rope goes on forever. And he said, and this is this is just your this is just your your existence on this earth. And he said that people would, he's like, and I go through life and people tell me. Why aren't you? You know, why, why aren't you just living to have more fun? And why aren't you living like we live? And I mean, he's talking about people in the world, and, and they're like, you're stupid because you're because you're, j- you're just you're trying to, to live so clean and you're trying to live to please to please God, and, and, and but but you're but you're missing out on all this stuff. And he said, and he said, but I tell them, no, you're stupid. Because because if I don't if I don't give my life to Christ and live the way that He wants me to, He said. Because you're thinking, He said, you're only thinking this far. He said, you're only thinking about, oh, I have to I have to get an education and I got to get the house so that I can get the, the car and so that then that this so that this portion so that this this part of my life can just be lived in comfort in retirement. And He's like, but every decision that I make affects my entire. He said, it doesn't it doesn't just affect this. And so, you know, I just figured that this little object, I mean, it really, it really put it into perspective for me when I saw that. So I thought, you know, i got to share that sometime. Because it's so good, you know, it's so true. And I can't, I really can't express to you guys the importance to focus on the here and now in the sense of the Great Commission, okay? Especially if we want to see the kind of revival that the church has been talking about for decades. You know, any of you guys have spent any, any amount of time in church, you've heard it mentioned once or twice, right? People were like, the last great revival, the last great revival. And, you know, we've talked about it a lot in the last few weeks or so, the last couple months maybe. But, you know, uh, to me, it's a good idea now and then to stop and smell the roses once in a while, so to speak. You know, eternity spent with God will be longer and more joyful and more fulfilling than we can imagine. And we'll talk about that later on. But I always kind of picture it, you know, probably even better you know, even better than, than it was in the beginning here in Genesis. You know, in Genesis 1, God made everything without fault. Look, you know, look you're in Genesis 1, Look at the very last verse in Genesis 1, verse 31. It says, Then God saw everything that He had made. In other words, He examined it. He looked back and examined it. And indeed, it was very good. Nothing bad. It was all good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Now look at the beginning of the next chapter. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Now let's skip ahead to the fall of man, because that's that's the beginning. That's the creation. Okay. Now let's skip over to the fall. Look at chapter 3 with me. You remember the serpent tempted Eve to eat the eat the fruit from the the. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. And we'll look, we'll, we'll look at all the details down here in verse 6. It says, so when the woman... i mean Genesis 3, 6. It says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a, desire, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You know, I was thinking about this very passage the other day. I was just kind of meditating on it. I wasn't reading it. I was just kind of meditating on this. God spoke to my heart while I was thinking about it, and he said something I did not expect. He said, anytime people make excuses for sin in their lives, those excuses are just like those fig leaves. You know, if I'm justifying, if if I'm doing something I know in my heart is wrong... But, I'm just, but I am justifying it. Now, it's different if I, if I just take it to God and confess and say, I'm, not, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that anymore. The blood of Christ then cleanses me. But if I'm holding on to it and I'm justifying it because I want to keep doing it, that's like this, this, this covering, this fig leaf, you know, these fig leaves that they're... It's, it's like uh, it's, I'm covering up something that I hope God doesn't see. Or maybe I'm even co- like trying to hide it from myself. Like, like no, this isn't, this isn't really wrong. You know, but, it, but does God say it's wrong? And if God lives in me, then he's going to convict me and say, yes, it is wrong. I told you it was wrong. You know better. He, I mean, happened to me many times, you know, and Adam and Eve here found out very quickly that sin is nothing to play with. Mankind had disobeyed God and fallen into sin. And from this conversation we're about to read, we'll see that it, it, it came, it hit awful close to home. And, you know, I mention that because when we, talk, when we begin to talk about what God's plans are for heaven, for earth, sometimes it's like, well, some of those ideas are kind of weird. Well, that's just us taking our ideas about what we think should be normal with God. Because if God said something, then, yeah, it may, it may seem weird to us, but if God said it, that's his perspective. So we can't take our perspective and, and kind of lay it over what God says and filter what God says through there and say, well, what God really meant was... You know. So let's look down here and just see how real this gets for them. It says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool today. This is verse 8. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So again, what's God's response? They fall into sin. God immediately comes looking for them because he wants to reconcile. Okay. Verse 10 So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? In other words, I never told you that. I didn't tell that about, your, about you. What are we saying then about, what are we saying about ourselves based on what other people have told us? This is something to think about. In verse 11 again, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate, passing blame. Verse 13, And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, notice the serpent has no one to pass the blame to. It's like, he just is like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Uh-oh. So, verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are more cursed than all the cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go. And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now the reason I read the whole thing was because I wanted us to see that to address this falling away. Because remember God's plan is reconciliation, redemption. Okay. To, in order to address it, God established this, his plan for redemption at the very beginning. He spoke it out. It's the seed. Jesus. Christ is the seed. Remember talking about Himself in, in John 12, 24, Jesus said, Unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. So, so and you know, notice that it's the seed of the woman, and the seed is capitalized, depending on what translation you have. Because the reason the seed is capitalized there is because it's referring to Christ. How do we know that? That's why they capitalize it. That's why it refers to Christ because it's it's the woman's seed. Now, not to get graphic or anything, but the woman doesn't carry the seed; the man does. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus was born of a, a woman, a, a, a virgin. So th- this it's her seed, and then and then it talks about him as a person, not an it. It, it says, "He shall bruise your head." Who? The seed. The seed's going to bruise the serpent's head. He is. And you shall bruise his heel. Amen? Amen? With me? So this is God's, God's already established his plan. And actually God's plan is to make everything new. The whole of mankind, spirit, soul, and body. And also the earth that he has made uh, and he gave man dominion of. Which is why the earth is also going to fallen state. Because when man fell, he was in dominion of the earth. God had given it to him. So then it translates to, it just goes straight through man and into the earth to make the earth a fallen, a fallen place as well. So he's not making it come about in an instant though. He's not bringing about the redemption like, bam, it's redeemed. He's bringing it about through a progression of time because he, now he has to deal with the will of mankind. If he just saves mankind against his will, he's not just. It would be like if he, if he didn't give man a chance to repent and just judged man and just sent man to hell. That wouldn't be fair either. But it also wouldn't be fair to redeem man without man's permission. Because if he did that, then man wouldn't have a free will. So there's a progression of time, and he's giving people time, a chance. Okay. Now, we talked about this a lot over the years, but I felt in my heart that God wanted us to get a visual of this process. And so if you can pull that up, Bill, go ahead and take up that first slide. Okay, so I don't know if you can read that, and I don't know if you have it on your on your paper but this is just this is this principle God made man a three-part being. And I've got a couple scriptures there for the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Joints and marrow, marrow speaks to the to the body. Okay. So there you have a soul and a spirit. And then first Thessalonians 5:23 says and may your whole spirit, soul and body, so three parts again. There be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't understand this principle. They just teach on it like, well, well you have a soul. They think of the soul and the spirit as the same thing. And they're, and they're, they're so similar, or they're, they're so tightly knit together, you could say, that it is hard to find the dividing point between them. That's why the Word of God is the only thing that's sharp enough to do that. That's why people tell me, well, how do I, how do I know uh, if my heart's speaking to me or my soul is speaking to me? You know, or, you know, what, but really you are, you You are a spirit. You have a soul. But, but the, I, it's like, well, is it coming from my head or is it coming from my heart? Well, how do I know the difference? If by being in this all the time. Because this is the only thing that's sharp enough to find the dividing point. Okay, so go ahead and switch to the next slide there. And so I, I, I broke this down. You've got, you've got the body, which is the blue, and the soul, which is the, yellow and the spirit which is the red and brother Hagen used to put it this way he said I am a spirit I have a soul and I live in a body that's I think the best way that I've ever heard it heard it put and now does that mean based on this picture does that mean that your spirit is a big red red spot in your inside you and your your soul is a yellow spot no 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 I'm just putting that up there as a representation honestly I don't know what they look like although my personal belief is they look the, I mean you look the same through and through but that's just that's just my personal belief so then, uh, does that, is that helpful to you, to see that, that representation there? It's like that three-in-one. You know, people ask, well, how can God be, be, be Father, Father, Son, and Spirit? And you see that God made everything in three... I mean, He made the building blocks of everything in three parts. You know, you've got body, soul, and spirit. You've got liquid, gas, and solid. You've got time is made up of past, present, and future. That's three parts. You know, I mean, what was the other one? There's a... Uh, Uh, The dimensions, height, width, depth, three. Three parts. You know, it's amazing, really. I mean, even the primary colors there, you got three primary colors. Yellow, red, and blue. Every other color comes from mixes of those colors. Fascinating, isn't it? So, yeah, that that was just a little visual thing. Now, go ahead and switch to the next slide, if you would. I didn't want this to feel like a PowerPoint presentation, but... You know, what are you gonna, I, guess there's, I guess there are good PowerPoint presentations out there, but I've sat through a lot of them, and I'm like, <sighs> okay, so now I've got this up there. So through sin, mankind and earth are in a fallen state. We, I just mentioned that. And I've got scriptures up there. So it's like sin, man accepted sin by disobeying God, so I've got the sin pointing at man, and then through that, through man, then sin entered the world because, again, Adam was in dominion of the earth. It was his responsibility so when he sinned, the whole, the whole thing, sin entered the whole world. It just became a fallen place. So you've got, for all sin to fall short of the glory of God. And then the, the scripture reference, the most important one to understand that is Romans 5.12. So just as through one man, sin entered the world, okay? So sin entered the world through one man, through Adam, when he sinned. And thus spread, or, and, de- and death, death through sin, and thus death uh, spread death to all men, because all sinned. So go ahead and go over to the next one. I don't know, did, did, did we have time to print those out? Do you have that on your... Yeah. Oh, awesome. They used to give us handouts at Ramah, and I'm like, oh, more handouts. I've got to go home and study this. You know, I, I, I don't, I've never liked handouts, so I, I, I hated them so much I decided to share the joy and give them to you as well today, so you have those. So then, now, now the process here. Now this is where it's really interesting to me. The first part that God redeems when a person accepts Jesus as their spirit or the heart and then the reference for that is in John eleven twenty five. 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. So you got this idea of physical death. You know, you, so, so what's redeemed first is the spirit. So that's why when the body dies, that's why you live on. And then the soul is attached to the spirit. So it's not like, oh, no, my soul will get left behind. No, no, that's not how it works. The soul is attached to the spirit. Because it's, you, know, you go back to Genesis and it says God formed man from the dust of the ground and he breathed into him the breath of life. And if you actually look at the, the, the Hebrew there, the idea of both soul and spirit are conveyed in that. So God made them simultaneously. That's why they're so tightly knit together. So they're attached. Wherever the spirit goes, the soul goes with it. Is that helpful to understand? Okay, so now, now go over to the next one here, if you will, Bill. And you've got, the this, this process continues. You, the second part that God redeems, and that's why I'm not using the word salvation. I mean, you are saved. You're saved. If you, if you said out loud Jesus is your Lord, you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are saved. Okay? But the, the, the soul is redeemed on a daily process. It says the second, I had the second part of God, re, uh, re, the second part God redeems, excuse me, after a person accepts Jesus as their soul. And you could classify the soul as your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know, me and me and my kids have had a wonderful talks about this. They're like, okay, well, so it's your brain. I'm like, no, it's not your brain. You think of your brain as the hardware or the wetware, you know. Like if you have a computer, you've got the physical computer, but then you've got the software. The software, you know, that's, that's, so th- this is your, that's why we refer to it as the mind, you know. The, the, so the mind, the will, and the emotions, okay. Some of this is my personal belief, so you, you just have to kind of have to sort that out as you go. But it's renewed daily by reading God's Word. In James 20, 1.21 If there I got. It, it says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. So again, there's that need to depart from sin and you know, constantly be aware of separating yourself from it. But not with the intent of, oh no, I, have to, I, I don't want to mess up, so I'm not going to do this. It always has to be from a pleasing God. Nope can't, get, nope, can't look at that. That wouldn't be pleasing to God. Nope, can't do that. That would not be pleasing to my, to my Lord. And, and it's a relational thing. I'm like, Lord... And I've even done that before. I've, 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 you know, you come into temptation, temptation itself is not a sin. If it were, Jesus would have sinned because he was tempted. It's acting on the temptation that, that is when the sin occurs. And so I've come into temptation before, and I've actually told God, look, there's some temptation. See, once you expose it to, you know, you know God's with you. Once it's exposed, it becomes a lot easier to say no to it. Amen? So, go ahead and move over to the next slide there, Bill. Oh, I didn't finish the verse. I'm sorry. Stay there real quick. So, yeah, therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. That word saved, saved, healed, and delivered. Okay, that's why your mind, you know, the mind needs renewing. And, and this constantly needs constant renewing. But uh, because, because we're constantly exposed to things out in the world. You know, you can't, you can't turn on your computer and go on the internet without, oh, whoa, there's something bad. Right? Or TV or whatever. I mean, just things that people say. So you need that constant renewing. Um, there was something else I was going to say there. Oh, yeah, this idea, it, 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 the conviction comes into play. The Holy Spirit's like, no, that's wrong, that's wrong. Well, why is that? Because he lives in you. But Jesus resides in you. Jesus is the word. That's why it calls it the implanted word. It's because it's been implanted in you. When you accepted Christ. Because Jesus is the word. But then at the same time we've got to constantly be in this. Because this is the word. Amen. Okay. So now, now next, next. This time I'm not going to fake you out. Go ahead. So now we've got the, the blue on the body. So the last part that God will redeem after a person accepts Jesus. Is the body. This will actually happen at Jesus' first coming. This has not happened yet. That's why we still deal with sin. The sin nature as we call it is contained within the body. The flesh. You know, the Bible's pretty, uh, pretty obvious about that. That's where temptation comes from. Okay, so you have over here in Corinthians, and the Bible talks about this in more than one place. Really, there's a lot of, of the Bible. The Bible mentions this quite a bit, but I just had the one verse here. So in 1 Corinthians, and I had that wrong, it's 1 Corinthians 15, 52 through 52, not, 50, not 51 through 51. You don't just read the verse again and again. No, it says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. That means die physical death. He talks about that earlier, what we know that he means from the context. But we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Talks about that elsewhere where it says Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the shout of the archangel, and then we'll be caught up with him in heaven. And that's really just, you know, uh, the idea of being changed that's difficult for a lot of people. I mean, we, we, our spirit yearns for that, but it's difficult for the mind to comprehend. You know? um, but it's really no different than the fact that he's changed, he recreated your spirit already. You just can't see it. He renews your mind when you read the word. You just can't see it. You can feel the effects of it, but you can't see it. So that's why I say it's hard for people sometimes when it hits really close to home, like, what do you mean my body's going to be changed? Yeah. What will it look like? Probably the same as it does now, just, just better you know go ahead and, and uh, go over to the next slide there bill i think this is the last one i got i'm doing pretty good on time wow but don't don't take a don't take a sigh of relief yet because we're going to read some more okay these are just these are just the slides I'm just giving you a heads up so again the, the so you can see how the redemption that god planned goes beyond salvation cuz you're saved the moment you accept christ he recreates your spirit but there's still this process of redemption where it comes to a fullness. You know, the Bible talks about coming to the fullness of the stature of Christ. Okay? So, your the first Christ's first coming I have up there will complete the redemption of the saints. That's us. It completes that because when Jesus returns, that's when we'll be caught up and we'll be changed physically. But there's still more to it than that because the world will still be in a fallen state. If you read through the Revelation, you'll see that. So, his second coming, because the Bible teaches that there's he returns twice. We see that in the word. So his second coming will complete the redemption of the earth. Where the earth will no longer be in a fallen state. I mean, God, God's, his plan, he's not going to leave it in a fallen state. It says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. That's Re- Revelation 21. Uh, tw- uh, 21 one. And, uh, you know, we want to bookend this message with the first book of the Bible and the last. So let's go ahead and flip over to the book of Revelation. Go over to chapter 20. How are you kids doing? Are you okay? You still with me? How many places did your mind wander in, in this last 45 minutes? We all do it. Don't, don't say we don't. That's why I take, that's the real reason I take so many notes when I'm listening to a preacher because I got to, that's the only way I can really make sure that I'm staying with him or her. Revelation 20. And we're going to look at verse 11 here. Where am I? Okay. It says, then I saw, I see, I mean, there's so much in here, but but for time's sake, I'm not going to go through all of it because it would... It would wear us out to read it all. So verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away. That's part of that doing away with, okay, and renewing. And there was found no place for them. Why? Because they were in a fallen state, because of what happened. Verse 12, And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and hades delivered up the dead who were in them. That, that word hades, that's the Greek word, that, it's the place of the dead, the realm of the dead. Okay? And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and hades were cast into the lake of fire. People don't think of that. People think of death as something that will last forever. But God's going to judge it. The Bible calls death an enemy. You know, we hear that a lot. Well, death is part of life. Well, in the sense of life here on earth, yes. But that was never part of God's plan. God didn't design man to die. So then, so then death is an enemy. And it's, the Bible says the last enemy to be defeated is death. This is where we see it. He cast it into the lake of fire. Death, you're gone. No more death. Sounds good, doesn't it? 15, or 14 still the lake of fire. And this is the second death. And, and the, you could really say the final. And anyone not found in, in, written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. How do you get in the book of life? Say out loud, Jesus the Lord, and believe in your heart, God's raised him from the dead. And stay there. Stay there. Chapter 21. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We just read it. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there, uh, also there was no more sea. Remember that to the Hebrews, death—the water going under water represents death. Okay, there's no more sea. No need for one. Verse two. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So now, so this is God's final uh, victory. You know, I I like to use the because people people talk about well, you know, why, why does God let all these evil things happen? Why, why are all these goings on? So uh, the, way, the best way, analogy that I've ever, you know, the way, that I've ever heard is the idea that, you know, you, you, in, in the natural, in, you know, just everyday business, you have a, if you have an apartment, okay, you have a landowner, or the, the owner of the apartment, landlord, okay, and the apartment, you, you, have, you have rented it, you have leased it, which gives you, uh, rights of access and everything to this apartment, this place that you live. Okay, what now? But you don't own it, though. But you pay for the right to use it. Okay. Now, the land and the landlord can't just walk into your house anytime they want to. They can't just open the door. I mean, they have a key, but they can't just walk in anytime they want. Why? Because you have an agreement. You have a you have a lease. You have a whatever. Now, but if you're doing things, if you're if you're breaking. They're, you're destroying their property, you're breaking their rules or whatever, eventually they can evict you, right? Okay, so God has ownership of the earth. He's never lost his ownership of this earth. But he gave authority to Adam, and when Adam sinned, he forfeited that authority to Satan because Satan's the one who he obeyed. So that's why all this evil is going on in the earth. People say, well, God's in control. Well, yes, to, to the extent that as much as his people do his will in the earth, but, but even though God has ownership of this world, he doesn't have the authority yet. I mean, well, Jesus, Jesus has the authority. Jesus could return any time. But if Jesus returned, you know, that's Judgment Day. We talked about that. And then anybody else who would have accepted Jesus has no more chance to accept him. That's why my personal belief, based on what I see in here, but you can't, you can't prove this out, my personal belief is that Jesus will return when the last person who is willing to accept him does. All right? But now... The, the idea that there is there is coming a time when the landlord's going to come and evict Satan. Let's see, you read Revelation when he's cast down to earth. It says he's he's in great wrath because he knows his time is short. His time is running out. His lease is running out. Does this help bring some things into perspective? Okay, so at this point, after God has redeemed everything, that's why His kingdom comes to Earth in the sense that His kingdom is already invading planet Earth. Because Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It means it's right here. Why? Because he's there. And now that we are the body of Christ, now that we are acting on his behalf, his kingdom is expanding and advancing with each person that accepts Christ. And there's going to come a point when it's here in its fullness. God's going to rule from here. Why? Because I'm taking back what belongs to me. That's, you know, God has every right to do that. Right? Okay, so... Uh, uh, did I read through the whole yeah I read the whole verse too so verse 3 says "But and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying behold the tabernacle of God is with men That in that sense we're talking about mankind because all that's left of mankind is the redeemed at this point point. and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people God himself will be with them and will be their God and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes there shall be no more death nor sorrow nor crying there shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Uh, that means the former world system. Okay? Cosmos. I want to make sure I don't get ahead of myself. So then, now, because God's redeemed mankind completely, He's redeemed the earth then, and He's taken back authority over the earth, He will physically reside here. It will be safe for earth and mankind to be near Him physically at that point. Sin will have been eradicated. Because you remember back when Moses was leading the people through the wilderness? They kept sinning, and because they kept sinning, God told them, I won't travel with you because of your sin, because I would surely break out and destroy you. Remember that? That's what he was meaning, but he can't, he, he can't be near sin without judging it. So, I mean physically. So this is why Jesus is with us in spirit now, but he won't be physically with us until he returns and recreates our physical body because we're talking body to body, right? And, you'll be, and at that point, you'll be able to be in his physical presence and walk by his side in that capacity, because you're with him now. Not physically, but you are, you are with him. He told us that he's with us till the end of the age. See, it's like, how do, how do we say that? How do we say he's with me, but he's not with me? He's with me in a spiritual sense, not a physical sense. Because he said, I'll be with you till the end of the age. Okay, but it has to be a spiritual sense, because he also told us, I'm going to prepare a place for you so that you can be with me where I am. (laughs) Remember when he said that? So he meant that in a physical sense. We're no less with him now. It's just that the process of redemption is not fully complete at this time. To God it's complete. He exists outside of time. That's a whole whole other message for a whole other day. Amen. Let's read on. Verse 4, and God, okay, we already read that. Uh, let me, where did I stop? I think I stopped at the former things passed away. Yep, verse 5, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. <laughs> and he said to me, write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. And I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to you. That all happened before. Came to me and talked with me, saying, "Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife." And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. And he's going to give some details about it now. He talked about it earlier, it came down, now he's going to give the details. Having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the land. That's the 12 disciples. Verse 15, and he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth, and he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. That translates to about 1,400 miles. Uh, Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man. That is of an angel, an angelic measurement. They use the same measurements we do. Probably because it's easier. Probably it's, e- it's probably easier when it translates to us, you know. Verse 18, the construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. That's how pure it is. The foundations, okay, now I'm not going to get into that. This is a snapshot of heaven on earth. okay. Because that's the idea. That's been God's plan from the beginning. Heaven on earth. I mean, heavens. A, I mean, heaven is so. Uh, you, heaven is so vast. It's it's unfathomable. But now God's like, okay, well, we're going to rule from here. <laughs> so, where am I here? Yep, yep. Said that. Said that. Said that. Yes. I got it, thank you. Uh, not quite. Okay, so this, but uh, I wanted to say one more thing about the bride here because he, said, he calls the lamp, that he says, this is, I'm going to show you the bride of Christ and he takes it and shows him a city. And it's like, how, is, how could a city be a bride? Well, you remember that the church is the bride of Christ. We, I mentioned that at the beginning. We are not literally the bride of Christ. We're figuratively, collectively the bride. I'm not the bride, you're not the bride, but all of us together are the bride. And who is residing in the city? The bride, that's that's where God places His people. It's, it's so it, this is the this is the bride. The city It's the it, you know the people in it. Okay, does that make sense? So then, uh, look down with me at. Wait a minute, I don't want to get ahead. No, no, that's okay. We got that. Okay, so remember, again, I told you I'm flying a little blind today. So, bear with me as I as I mess up a little bit. So look down at verse twenty-one. 'Cause it goes into all the different kinds of jewels and precious stones that God uses to represent things and tribes and and that's a whole deep study, but we're not going to get into that. So verse twenty one says, The twelve gates were twelve pearls, each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Now, did I did I include verse uh twenty twenty three, Bill, in that? Yes. Okay. The city has no, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it. See, this is a completely different system that God's setting up. For the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it that there shall by no means enter in anything enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie people like to that word people like to make fun of that word abomination what does that even mean an abomination is a sin against nature that is a, that that is taking something that god has designed and using it for a completely wrong purpose that's an abomination that's what that is it's a sin against nature okay but only those who are written in the lamb's book of life we so go down to, to chapter 22 and verse 1. We're just about done here. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits. It, and keep in mind that 12 represent, the number 12 represents perfect government. That's why God established 12 tribes of Israel. That's why, he, why Jesus called 12 disciples. Because that's God's government, okay? So, uh, bore 12 fruits, each, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. Notice how God is really emphasizing that every kind of darkness is going to be done away with. Remember in Psalms, it says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The shadow is a degree of darkness, you know, if you will. And we're in that valley, in that shadow now. But in the end, the Psalm says, I will fear no evil. You're with me, God. You're with me. That's why I won't fear an evil. That's why God said to him who overcomes, he will inherit these things. Okay? Because there's much to overcome here. Temptation, persecution, our own thoughts and desires sometimes need to be overcome. Okay? But as you can see, the rewards of overcoming are well worth it. Now, Jesus overcame every hardship he encountered, and if he can, we can. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you, who is in you. Okay? So let's wrap this up. Look down at verse 16, and we'll read to the end of the book. Just a few more, probably think five verses. Uh, yeah, there I am. This is very encouraging here. Uh, Did I say 16? I did. Okay, so verse 16, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. That's why we're reading it here in church, right? (laughs) I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride, that's us, say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. That's why we don't add anything to the Bible. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. That's Jesus. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be with you all. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope this was helpful. Don't forget we're living in a time where the field is ripe for harvest. Amen. Amen. Be a promoter. Let's pray. Yes, ma'am. That's okay. You, have, you can ask a question. Uh-huh. Israel. Israel, Jude is one of the tribes, right. but it's just a represent. It's just a representing thing. It's just a symbol. It's, it's and rest, not. And rest is not yes. This is the completion of everything. This is where he, everything that he has planned comes into play. We're all, there. we're all there. Yep. Let's pray. Unless we have any more questions? The question was about the 12 tribes of Israel and 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 are the Gentiles there and yes this is the close this is this is the God's end game this is everything that he is he's is bringing to the end. Okay. Okay, I just, I just one more question. Would you have a little bit more clarification on why he broke down measurements like miles and I don't have any I I don't have any information about what that means to us. Yes, that does not mean that there isn't some teacher out there who understands it, but I don't understand it. That the the question was about the measurements of the of the city and, and everything. It has some significance, otherwise God wouldn't have put it in there. But it's just it's I just don't understand it. So, huh? It's fourteen hundred miles, one thousand four hundred miles. Yeah, yeah, quite quite a bit bigger than twelve. Yeah, <laughs> it's big. Okay, that's just the city walls, though. His kingdom extends throughout the universe. The Bible calls him the king of the universe. Yep. Me and Tammy were talking about that. The idea, because she was like, well, yeah, because uh, a world, I mean, even, even a world that's like a, like a planet that's devoid of life is still a world. God, God reigns over it because he made it, you know. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Because we'll be with him. Where he is, we'll be. Okay. And he reigns from here. He reigns from here. Yeah. From from it, it becomes a part of heaven. The there you go. Earth becomes a part of heaven. Right. You got it. Okay. Let's pray. Unless we have any more questions. I don't mind questions. If I don't have the answer, I'll just say, I don't know. I already did that. Okay. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much again. And I know this stuff is deep, Lord. I pray that you help us to uh, to digest it, if you will. Help us to to get it down, and and help us to uh, to just let it be, let the understanding of it just uh, be a part of how we operate day to day. And we thank you, Father, and praise you. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so now we have the you're dismissed. But now we have the Christmas party. Anyone who's here is welcome to join us. And we have the ugly sweater contest. Are we supposed to wear that? Now. Now, from now? Okay, I guess I better go.